Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Dad. Oh, God, what? What does a pride of lions say before they start eating a downed gazelle? Uh, let us pray with an E? Yeah. I got it! Good job. High five. You're listening to The Wayward Willis with John and Logan, where two atheists discuss religion, culture, and maybe some politics. If you're offended by blasphemy, profanity, or you hate fun, this podcast may not be right for you. And now, on to the show. Hey you, it's us. The first humans to absorb other humans for sustenance. <laughs> I'm John, an evil atheist. And I'm Logan, a cute cuddly atheist. Today we're descending into darkness and talking about... <laughs> Satan. Otherwise known as my dad. So, what even is Satan? Well, the dictionary defines Satan as the chief evil spirit, the great adversary of humanity, or the devil. For all you Supernatural fans out there, this would have been Crowley for quite a few seasons. Is that true? I felt like he was, like, the COO of Hell, just kind of keeping the minions in line until Lucifer got his groove back. I thought he actually became the King of Hell for a while. Hmm. King of Hell, but not Satan, right? All right. That's fair. All right. I I'm take right. it back. I take it back. I'm sorry, Supernatural fans. I have wronged you. All right. Now that we've gotten that straightened out. Satan's roots in Abrahamic religions go all the way back to the book of Genesis, when Eve is tempted to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by a talking serpent. Now, disclaimer, this interpretation is not universally accepted by all sects of Christianity. Some theological stances on this talking serpent are just that, a cunning reptile with the ability to speak whichever language Adam and Eve were speaking who felt like trolling just for the lulz. Which would mean that God made the world with every intention of feeding the trolls. If God didn't intend trolls, then why are there bridges? Checkmate, atheists. Uh, unflappable logic. <laughs> this is also where the concept of original sin comes in. But this is a really big problem for skeptics because God had just created these two humans from dirt and ribs with no indication as to having given them any special knowledge about the world. So he plops them in the middle of this garden with a poison plant in the middle of it and says, don't eat that. This is where God's incompetence really shines through because we all know what happens when you tell humans not to do something. They don't do it, right? They do as they're told, right? Well, no, they do it, but they do it in the butt and that's why it's called God's loophole. Okay, well, that's, this is, that, that's not what, what we were talking, talking about. Well, clearly you've never dated a Catholic girl. Uh... Uh, no comment. Moving on. So this serpent comes along and fucking talks to Eve. It talks. What the hell is Eve supposed to do about a talking serpent? Just dismiss it? Heck off, heckin' snake. Oh yeah, she could have hecked it. <laughs> but like an animal speaking complete sentences with special knowledge of a conversation Eve had with God is probably just what? Stupid and wrong? Nah, that seems like something you should listen to. You know, honestly, that brings up a good point here. What language did Adam and Eve even speak? 
I'm positive it wasn't English. Unless you're a Mormon, you're talking about some unspecified location between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. So like Egyptian, Arabic, Hebrew, Farsi, who the hell knows? Well, the story goes that before they committed the original sin, they were able to have telepathic communal hive mind exchanges. But of course, they had to get that taken away along with painless childbirth. The old mass punishment route. I have no idea what you're talking about. Hive mind exchanges. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it all makes sense now. Thanks for repeating it. Don't understand how bees work. (laughs) Hey, Logan. Yeah? Do you know where Mormons think the Garden of Eden was? Uh, just outside Eden's front porch. I see what you did there. But no, it's actually Jackson County, Missouri. Really? Yeah. Really? Yep. Just down the street, huh? Ish. Not not really, but... No, yeah, just just up the the road. Uh, hop, skip, and a jump away. All right, well, we're done now. Okay, fine. <laughs> so let's go back to the roots of the word Satan for a minute or two. If you sound it out, you get say and ten, which tells us that the king of hell was born out of the first utterance of the number after nine. You're so weird. It's actually a derivative of the Hebrew word hasatan, which shows up in the story of Job, when God fucks around with people just for fun. But the word itself actually alludes to a human adversary or a deceiver. It can also indicate a general concept of humanity's capacity for evil. But hasatan gets translated into Greek in the New Testament as diavolos. What does that sound like? This is where we get the demonic entity called the devil. Sort of like Cruella de Vil, who is demonic in her own way. Those poor puppies. You know, now that I'm actually thinking about it, that movie has an incredibly somber undertone. It's pretty horrible considering that she had all kinds of fur coats. Well, fur coats made out of Dalmatian fur. Like, that's really fucked up. I don't don't (laughs) think I ever realized that as a kid, but... (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Disney. Yeah, it's just like a puppy holocaust in that movie. Oof, too far. My bad. (laughs) This translation is used to pin the introduction of evil into the world onto a personality, putting a face on the vague concept of evil and giving Christians someone to hate. You know, before they started hating gays. Who are also evil and demonic. Thou shalt not touch penises! That's how that's how being gay works, right? <laughs> that's what I've heard. Okay, penis touching. Got it. This is also a way for Christians to avoid the problem of evil, even if it is completely ineffective. So the problem of evil is a simple question. If God is perfectly good, why does he allow evil? The answers to this question are usually variations on free will. They'll say that since God didn't want us to just be robots, he gave us free will, which included the capacity to do evil. And to invent teleportation technology. It's going to happen, trust me. You know, we were promised flying cars by 2015, right? Well, yeah, but that was back before humanity actually had a pretty decent understanding of how technology works and the possibility that flying cars could exist at some point. But in our current day and age, we're actually making pretty decent advancements in quantum technology. Well, you know, technology does progress at a um... logarithmic rate. Absolutely. Logarithmic. I like it. So it's our fault that we used that free will for evil, which let's just point out consisted of one single act of curiosity steeped in ignorance. And because of the rules God set up front, our disobedience broke the world and made hurricanes. And regular mouth speech instead of telepathy. Damn you, Eve. You know, it's starting to sound like you have a problem with women. Anyway, because humans were tempted by Satan and committed the original sin of disobedience, Satan becomes the scapegoat for human suffering and takes the spotlight off of God. Here's the problem with that. 
If a being named Satan exists, God had to have created it, right? So you can only pin evil on Satan if you're unwilling to acknowledge that logically, ultimate responsibility for the existence of Satan and evil rests squarely on the shoulders of the asshole who made him. That's my new favorite party game. Pin the evil on the Satan, but only after you've pinned it on the God. Or pin the evil on Jesus and then pin him to a cross. No? Sure, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's too complicated game <laughs> it takes a lot of effort like you need more than one person to play especially if you're blindfolded yeah you're not wrong expert level s tier so the protestant christian view of satan hinges on a misinterpreted passage from isaiah chapter 14 it goes like this how you have fallen from heaven morning star son of dawn you are cut down to the ground conqueror of nations and you yourself said in your heart i will ascend to heaven I will raise up my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mountain of assembly on the summit of Zaphon. I have no idea what that is. I will ascend to the high places of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to shale, to the depths of the pit. That was really poetic, right? Absolutely. The misconception here is that Isaiah is talking about a literal angel named Lucifer who rebelled against God and took a legion of other emo teenage angels with him. Their company kickball team name was the Angsty Angels. Or the Sad Seraphim. Anyway, his sin was pride. Have you heard the old saying, pride goeth before the fall? This is the fall. Not the kind with leaves and pumpkin spice everything. This the saying isn't about basic bitches. Uh, does that make me a basic bitch? Because I love pumpkin spice. If it does, then it makes me one too. (laughs) So Christian theology holds that Lucifer, the morning star, was the most glorious angel in heaven. Kind of the upper management of angelic operations. And he sort of needs you to come in on Saturday. Yeah. Now, just for a moment or so, I want to take a sidetrack and address an incredibly stupid Christian apologetic. That is, that the reason God doesn't show himself to us or even provide the slightest shred of evidence that he exists is that if he did, it would subvert our free will and we'd have no choice but to worship him. I love having no choice but to worship people like Emma Watson. God, this again? I will never be over this. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's just keep doing the show here. So, you know, because he doesn't want robots, he has to play hide-and-seek for a bajillion years, right? He's pretty damn good at it, if I'm being honest here. (laughs) Well, if the Lucifer story has any basis in this theology whatsoever, then it completely dismantles the argument, tears it to shred, pisses all over it, and sets it on fire. Well, that was dramatic figurative language. I'm a dramatist. An actor. I'm I'm an actor. I'm Shakespearean trained. And I'm not, but whatever. So if Lucifer could have spent nearly eternity in heaven with God, basking in his glory, but still eventually go, meh, this whole worship God all the time shit just isn't working for me, then it would be 100% possible for humans to see God directly and decide to either worship or not worship him on their own. In fact, if God ever did show himself to me, there would be a string of weird thoughts going through my head before I ever landed on, oh, I should worship this thing. Just a few examples. Did I just get roofied? Something I ask myself frequently. (laughs) Am I dying? Can I still keep 100% of my income or does this mean I start tithing? 
The point is, if it is true that we have free will, and it is true that Lucifer used his free will to form a rebellion, then it is completely possible for God to provide incontrovertible evidence of his existence to us without subverting our free will. Checkmate, Christians. King me. Wrong game. The same. (laughs) Anyway, the problem with this Christian misinterpretation of Isaiah is that he's talking about the king of Babylon, not the devil, and would probably be all WTF if he knew what Christians did with this. That's right. Isaiah knew about text slang before it was cool. Also, Sheol isn't a lake of fire full of demons who torture people by flaying off their skin or shoving hot pokers up their asses. Honestly, my idea of hell would be sitting at a table across from a toddler who eats with their mouth open and keeps kicking me in the shins forever and I can't get up and leave. Or sitting in the backseat of your dad's car with your soon-to-be ex-girlfriend who's bawling her eyes out and talking very loudly on the phone with her mother about how much she despises your family and hated every second of your trip back home to see them. That would be uh, a kind of hell, I would say. Or uh, having an entitled old lady with a thick Bostonian accent call you on the phone the next day to bitch you out for making her princess sad and then calling you kid when you're 40 years old. Let's play which is worse. Uh, I'm pretty sure that one of them is much worse than the other. Okay, fine, you win. Anyway, Sheol is a Hebrew word describing a place of darkness without the presence of God. And not the Christmassy kind of presence. Man, I know I'm doing pretty poorly on the humor front when I'm just continuously making wordplay jokes. (laughs) Well, there have been plenty of pity laughs on my end, so uh, yeah. The original interpretation is that everybody goes here after they die, whether they're good or bad. No need to check any lists twice. (laughs) Just a running gag now. So the Christian conception of hell doesn't even have a basis in Old Testament scripture. And it gets better, because this isn't even where the misconception ends. But wait, there's more! Have you heard of Dante's Inferno? If you did, it's probably around the same time you started to hate your life in English literature class. (laughs) It's a part of Dante Alighieri's poem, The Divine Comedy, where Dante is given the VIP tour of hell. This poem is where phrases like, There's a circle of hell dedicated to people who wear socks with sandals come from. Which is true. If you wear socks with sandals, you are the worst kind of person. The worst. The burning torture pit full of demons and sinners is illustrated in detail here, and the Christian notions of hell as Satan's domain, full of fire and brimstone, are a result of conflating misinterpreted scripture and completely uncanonical poems. It's a shame they didn't do a crossover book with nursery rhymes, even though things would probably be just as nonsensical. Just weird, I think. Now, in the New Testament, we begin to see the actual embodiment of Satan as an independent character. I always hate books that say the character development for the sequel. Right? Why not just tell us who everyone is up front? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus wanders out in the wilderness on some kind of vision quest and encounters Satan in corporeal form. He has a conversation with him where Satan starts offering him a seat on the throne of the world if Jesus bows down to Satan and presumably renounces his divinity. Jesus responds to Satan with Old Testament scripture, basically saying, go fuck yourself. Thou shalt fucketh thine self. And Jesus said unto him, takest thou thine cock and putteth it within thine anus. <laughs> so there are a couple of funny things about this story. It's basically just Calvin and Hobbes with Jesus and Satan instead. <laughs> Kinda. So first, Satan takes Jesus to the top of a high mountain where he is said to be able to see all the kingdoms of the world. 
We spoke last week about how the Bible originally presumed the world was flat. And it's hilarious that even in the New Testament, we get this whole, if you climb a high enough mountain, you can see the entire earth idea that's clearly wrong. Well, they were referring to the hive mind abilities that we would all have if Eve didn't fuck us over. Damn you, you misogynist. (laughs) (laughs) What telepathy? Is that so wrong? (sighs) I don't know if anybody at this point had ever actually even climbed a mountain or what, because the Aztecs were over in Central America waving like, hey, we're over here, but Jesus and Satan couldn't see them, and they were like, Yep, this whole earth is just this. There's definitely nobody living outside of that area. Not a soul. Yep, seems legit. Second, Jesus was fasting for 40 days and nights in the wilderness during this time. Now, obviously, fasting doesn't mean no eating or drinking at all, ever. But after having very little food or water for just a week even, you're probably going to be pretty loopy and seeing shit. This whole encounter with Satan could have been as much a crazy hallucination as the entire book of Revelation. The original obligatory tripping balls scene in every single Seth Rogen movie, even the animated one. So it seems like the only reason to include this story in the Bible at all is to A. Establish that Jesus couldn't be corrupted, and B cement the idea that there is an actual, real devil who can fuck with you. Yeah, none of that fake devil bullshit. This is the real deal. (laughs) Given that Satan could stand right in front of the Son of God and say all kinds of bullshit, Christians should be very afraid that no matter how pious they are, they'll still have to guard themselves from demonic attacks. It seems to work, too. Christians are afraid that the devil causes almost everything. Like those extra two pounds you put on shortly after you bought a brand new pair of shorts that prevent you from buttoning them and rendering the shorts unserviceable. Goddamn shorts demons! Fuck you, Eve! (laughs) Now, Islam actually brings the whole fallen angel story directly into canon. Which is interesting. So, Iblis, uh, Iblis, Iblis, uh, I- Iblis Elba? No. <laughs> no, okay. The gunman. So, <laughs> Iblis was basically a magic genie who God created out of fire. And he was all like, I'm Iblis and I'm hot with two T's. And an A-W in the middle. Hot. 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 I'm so hot. Oh my God, I'm so hot. So that was, that was Iblis? Uh, yeah, that was Iblis. Then God made Adam and told all the magical genies to bow down to him because Adam was the pinnacle of God's creation. Iblis was like, nah, fam, this dude was made of Play-Doh and I'm super hot fire. I'm not bound down to shit. And God was like, do it or else. And Iblis was like, or else what? And God was like, or else I'll cast you out of heaven and do absolutely nothing to you forever while allowing you to screw with humans' brains and mess up my world I created until I get off my lazy ass someday and destroy the whole goddamn thing. My favorite of all the ways to be punished. Right? I love it when I'm punished by, like, not (laughs) having anything done to me. Laissez-faire punishments. Yeah, just leave me the fuck alone. I'll punish myself. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) My own crippling depression will punish me with time. (laughs) My low self-esteem would take care of that. So Iblis was like, whatever, I'm a grown-ass genie. I do my own thing. Then God kicked him out and we get to blame things on him now. It's not my fault. The devil made me do it. Iblis was the original griefer. (laughs) I'm still, Reed, always trying to figure out how religious people can have an all-powerful God who can't figure out how to use the block feature of Twitter. (laughs) Whatever. Let's talk to someone with a personal relationship with the Dark Lord. The segue is coming. (laughs) 
I'm really enjoying being able to talk to people with interesting backgrounds and experiences on this podcast, and this week's guest won't let me down. He's a comedian who has been a U.S. Marine, a prison guard, and a Senate candidate in California. Oh, and he's also the devil. I mean, he's a Satanist. I'm talking to Steve Hill. Thanks for your time, Steve. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, we met you at Gateway to Reason, and I thought, I've got to talk to him about two things, Satanism and criminal justice reform. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Boy, you don't get those two in a conversation too often, do you? No, aren't they basically the same thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they'll both put you in hell, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So first of all, let's talk about Satanists. You are all atheists and presumably secular humanists who don't even believe in the Judeo-Christian idea of Satan. So can you tell me, yeah, can you tell me about the identification with Satan and its purpose? Yeah, it derives out of my comedic experiences. It's, uh, It's a joke, you know, you get these questions asked by atheists, by these brilliant atheists that go, well, how can you be a Satanist if you're an atheist? And all I want to do is just choke him by the damn neck. Like, you know I'm an atheist, right? I'm an atheist first. So if I tell you I'm a Satanist, it's a joke. Right. I, I, I believe that there's a, a, a devil or a Satan or a Lucifer or a fallen angel just as much as I do believe that Jesus Christ walked on water. I don't believe any of it. But it's the I use it to, you know, kind of... a. Basically, just being sarcastic. Basically, it's just a form of sarcasm with me. It's like, okay, if you want me to respect you worshiping who you worship, then I want you to also, in turn, respect me for worshiping who I worship, even though it's Satan. Right. And so it comes across as a little confrontational and sort of trolly to uh, people of faith. Um, But then you also, I think, get a lot of people, even atheists, like you were saying, who don't really understand that uh, the original concept of Satan really just means opposition or adversary. adversary. Yeah. 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 Just an adversarial perspective. It's, it's the yin to your yang, you know? It's, uh, it's being 180 degrees diametrically opposed to the way you think. That's what I'm trying to demonstrate here. Right. And so your values, you know, apart from just atheism being the rejection of a God claim, your, your values would fall in line with a secular humanist. Um, exactly. Okay. 100, 100%. I am, I am just 100% pro-human. I want humans to do good. Okay. I don't I don't like to see humans eating out of trash cans or sleeping on the street or being incarcerated. I don't think that's a, a human thing to do to people, you know? Right. It's and in, we are inhumane. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to that cuz I also have some opinions on that that I want to kind of work through with you. Um, okay. But while we're still on Satanism, there are most people know or or at least have seen That there are two basic flavors of Satanism. One is the Satanic Temple, and the other is the Church of Satan. Church of Satan. Right. And so what are the the differences? Like, are there just fundamental differences between how the two operate? Uh, Basically, yeah, there's a a very profound difference. I think my friends at the Satanic Temple, they are actually advocating for the separation of church and state and not letting, you know... The preachers or the federal government take the Bible too literally in our politics. And the Church of Satan 
I just really can't find anything online or in history books. I can't find anything, any kind of activism that they've uh, participated in, you know, and I'm an activist. That's, that's what drew me to the Satanic Temple. I met Lucian Greaves in St. Louis at the very first Gateway to Reason, and that's when I kind of grabbed hold to the concept of Satanism because I thought it was like, okay, cool. You know, if, if you tell someone that you're an atheist, they just look at you and automatically put you in a box and judge you and ridicule you. But if you tell them that you're Satan, now you have some validity. Now they understand that whole thing because it's so inherently entrenched into their brain because of their religion that Satan and the devil is the bad guy. So now you have some kind of street cred per se. Right. <laughs> if well, you and it's... tell people you're the you're you're the devil. Right. But it's it's their bad guy. And so, you know, there, there's some value to at least having something to talk about with somebody who already has this preconceived notion of what Satan exactly. is. Exactly. Like here. Yeah. It's your bad guy. So maybe you can relate to me now. Right. Now let's talk about something that's important, like women's reproductive rights or keeping kids out of prison or, yeah, you know, absolutely. educating everyone or, or giving, giving uh, transgender people every other rights and, and freedoms that every other American possesses in the country. You yeah. know, now, now that we've got past the Satan thing, let's talk. Yeah. And let's, let's talk about real tangible values. Some, you know, things that really affect the human condition and that right. benefit society as a whole. Exactly. Uh, because, you know, that's the big stumbling block. You know, you tell someone you're atheist, kind of like the, the Steve Harvey syndrome. Oh, uh, I, I wouldn't even know what to say to an atheist. Uh, uh, get out my face. You know, it's like, no, I'm, a, I'm pretty much a human being. And, you know, that was one of the big reasons. Actually, I ran for office last year for uh, state Senate, 21st District of California. And that was one of the main reasons that motivated me to do it was just to show people that an atheist has the same concerns, the same, you know, human instincts as other humans where, you know, you, you want to see people in your community do good. You want to see them prosper and become educated and, and good functioning members of, of society. You know, we have the same wants and wishes as every other human being. It's just that we don't believe in a deity or some magical guy that's pumping shit out of the sky or making your team go to the playoffs. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so it seems like the Church of Satan then is is just a church. Like, yeah, from, from from what I gathered, you know, I, I went to their website, I've, I've checked online, and I even remember when they, you know, they were kind of prominent back in the 80s with the, the big Satan scare, the big Church of Satan scare that were on talk shows, and I think they were on Geraldo or something. Oh, yeah, then. the Satanic Panic. I lived through that. Yeah, yeah, all, all, all of that garbage. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. That's all, that's all I can say. It's, yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know? Yep. All right. So uh, does the Satanic Temple have any sort of religious dogma kind of, or, you know, even if it's well, kind of faint or... or yeah, they have, you know, they have the, the seven tenets. They have the seven tenets that they uh, follow, that they adhere to. Yeah, but you said well, that, that you only have one tenet, right? Yeah, I've got, I've got one tenet. That's don't be an asshole. There you go. That's it. That's all. That's pretty, you know, keeping it simplistic. It's pretty much self-explanatory. Right. Treat people like you want to be treated, you know, respect people, don't be an asshole. 
yeah. know, that'll that'll get you a, that'll get you a long way in life if, if people could just you know follow that one tenet that I have. Yeah, just you know, I'm, I'm treat other people well and um, look out for uh, others' well-being when you can. Right. 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 Be pro-human. You know, if, if yeah. someone needs something to eat and you can afford to give them something to eat and give them something to eat. You know, it's pretty simple. Every, everyone needs a place to sleep. Everyone needs food to eat. And, you know, beyond beyond that, you know, we already live in this capitalistic society, which is predicated on the almighty dollar. You know, people always talking about they worship this and worship that. In America, everyone worships the dollar. Yeah, well, and obviously even, uh, you know, people like Joel Osteen and megachurch pastors. Mm-hmm. That's, that's nothing more than yeah. worship of the dollar. Right. What's that? Cref- Creflo dollar? Down Creflo dollar. Yeah. Like, dude, you know, how many jet planes do you need? Oh, uh, I need a new jet you know, that kind of ridiculousness, you know, and people are so gullible to go along with it. So yep. I just want people I just want people to think, man, if I could just get people to to just stop and think, you know, does it make sense to to give your preacher X amount of dollars every year just because you're you're attending his church and he, he lives 15 to 20 times better than you do. Right. Well, you're, you're struggling payday to payday, but yet and still. Because he can make you feel good on Sunday with this allegory that, that everyone sits in church and gets together and this group thought stuff. To me, it's it's just it's just so ridiculous in 2017 that people still think that there's a guy in the sky granting wishes. Yeah, well, and I think that a lot of you know people who have gone from religion to atheism have had a moment uh, at some point in their life where they just kind of looked at what they had believed what they, you know, were being told and just kind of went, um, what the hell? Like, that? that's just not right. Right. It really doesn't make sense if you stop and think about it. Is the Satanic Temple, like, the, the feeling that I get from it, and this is in no way uh, say anything derogatory against what, what I'm about to kind of illustrate, but um, with the Satanic Temple and the, you know, Baphomet statue and the the atheist or the Satanist soldier memorial. Like, is the Satanic Temple effectively kind of a a troll for religion in America? Yeah, that's the way that I see them. But ex- but they actually do things. You know, they act. They they actually have attorneys fighting fighting alongside of them. You know, so yeah, they're they're basically trolling religion. That's kind of what I'm doing also. Right. And and we all do to a certain extent. I mean, this podcast is kind of a, a troll to religion. But, you know, do you think that it's a, a good thing to have organized, basically organized atheism like uh, the Satanic Temple to kind of just push back on religion? And like when a Ten Commandments monument goes up and the Satanic Temple is like, oh, OK, fine. Then we want a pentagram everywhere, you know, like. Right. Right. Do you think that that's yeah, really, really helping? A, yeah, I think it's a good thing. You know, when you organize, when you get people together, you become more powerful. You become more, you, you gain more strength. There's definitely strength in numbers. Yeah, definitely. So if you can organize people and have a concerted effort and have everyone on the same, on the same team pushing for, for a common goal, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. That's, yeah. I like the Satanic Temple just for that reason. Yeah. yeah. And I've I didn't know a whole lot about them 
um, until maybe a couple of years ago. And since then, I'm just like, like every time they they troll somebody, I'm like, holy crap, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they do good. They do good. They do good stuff. And I hope they continue and prosper and, and grow in numbers. And, it, you know, it's kind of like having someone on, on your team. Because, yeah. you know, without the Satanic Temple, it's, it's you know, you got the Freedom From Religion Foundation and other things like that. But, you know, you get younger people into the movement when you bring up things like, oh, I'm a Satanist. And, you know, it, it's just not the same old stale Richard Dawkins type, Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's something new and interesting and exciting for young people, you know, at the rate that this country is losing its religion. You, you need all of the young people on your on your team, you know. Right. Well, and I also think that, you know, that kind of goes to sort of fill a void. Like when people do lose their religion, they're losing a community um, Mm -hmm. and they're losing sort of a support network. So it it just seems to me like things like that kind of give people this backbone of support when they used to have that and then they lose it and they're like i don't know if being an atheist is really that great because now i feel like i'm all alone right all alone yeah but see that's 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 where things like conferences come in where you can get together with like-minded people and you don't feel like some kind of a social outcast because you're you're not participating in the whole group thought thing right absolutely so yeah that's why you know conferences are they're, they're good for that you know get together get people together network trade ideas, communicate, you know, just kind of like a, a big happy atheist family, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just a big powwow. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, and speaking of conferences, uh, I had mentioned that we saw you at Gateway to Reason, and one of the things that interested me about you was that um, you were a prison guard. and Correct. Yeah, and I feel like probably you have some some incredible stories, but I, I don't really want to get too much into that, but I kind of wanted to, because I just wonder, I uh, wanted to ask you, why are you no longer a prison guard? Well, I just totally got disenfranchised with the department of corrections. And for a couple of years, I had, I had already kind of fell out of favor with the job. I had, I had even told, uh, you know, some of the other officers I work with, I, I can't I can't continue to do this. I can't do this the rest of my life. You know, just the fact that so many inmates in there look like me, you know. Right. The prison's just full of full of blacks and, and Hispanics and whites at the lower end of the economic ladder, you know. But it's people basically with no money and can't afford a good a good attorney. But there were so many African Americans. It it was it was just got uncomfortable after a while you know african-american males make up six percent of the state population but we make up like 48 percent of the prison population in california so you you just know that something is inherently wrong with with our entire system yeah and i absolutely. really really didn't want to be a part of it anymore so i kind of just agreed to just take a, a, re, a early retirement and, and got out of it prisons are full every i used to go to work man it feel like i was attending a family reunion <laughs> just just black people, Mexicans, just everywhere. Like, wow, this is this is, you know, this is wrong, you know. And and I still think and I testified in Sacramento a couple of weeks ago. I went up to testify in a subcommittee to try to get some funds for a youth group that I support. And, you know, I, I told them that history will will judge this time period from the from 1865 when they got rid of slavery 
up until 2017, when you look at the incarceration rate of black men, history is going to judge us harshly. Right. I do believe. Given the current situation, you, you can't really even say that they got rid of slavery. I mean, if you have such a disproportionate uh, ratio of minorities and blacks in prisons from the general population, then, I mean, these people are, they're still in chains. Exactly. Yeah. High, yeah. Very highly overrepresented in the, in the prison system. And, and I, I don't know if you watched that documentary, the 13th, yeah, the 13th I did. Amendment. Yeah. It was basically, they're basically laying out and telling everybody what's going on. That's why I was, you know, I was really pushing that documentary when it came out. I was like, listen, everybody, they're telling the truth. Same thing with Bernie Sanders. That's why I supported him so heavily when he was talking about over-incarceration and, and the over-policing of, of, of blacks out in the street. You know, we're getting shot and killed and it's just time for a change. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and the factors that go into this um, situation that we're in are like you said, over-policing, but then we've also got mandatory minimums. We've got right. uh, scheduling of drugs the, that the, are... The co- powder cocaine versus crack cocaine. and Right. You know, the sentencing disparities in that, in that whole thing just seemed like they were pinpointed, focused at African-American communities that, you know... <laughs> but, but gratefully now, we have a different kind of epidemic going on now that you know the the politicians and they're they're starting to, with this opioid crisis they're starting to see that it's a it's a medical thing people are in pain man people seek medication to get out of pain right and you know when it was crack cocaine you know it was a crime problem it was criminals 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 but when it became opioid and, and prescription medication now all of a sudden we need to find a more gentler approach and get these people help like okay well at least you you've kind of become human a, a little bit yeah, but for but the I wrong wish, reasons. Right, right. I wish they could have done for for my people. You know, we because once once you get in, into this prison system, man, it's it's hard to get out. Well, that's exactly my problem with the whole prison system. Well, I mean, several problems, but that specifically is one of the things that I wanted to talk about because our criminal justice system is purely punitive. It is not in any way reformative, and we've got for profit prisons that are big business and big money. So it's in the best interest of those running the prisons to, to just keep people there, to keep as many people and, and invite, you know, as many people in as, like, as, as if you invite somebody to prison. But <laughs> right. um, yeah, I mean, once you get in, you know, it's, it's basically like what we want to do, how we want to handle crime is just take the person and just throw them in a cell and just, you know, lock them up and throw away the key and that doesn't right. do any good because you know that, you know, uh, except in the most extreme cases, these people are going to come back out into society. And so it's right. incredibly short-sighted and just stupid to throw these people in there and just let them rot. Exactly. It doesn't do us any and good. You're, you, you, yeah, back in the 90s, you know, with that omnibus crime bill that Bill Clinton signed, you know, California, man, they were they were building prisons like they were made out of Lego blocks. I mean, prisons were going up like every three months. When I was in the Department of Corrections, that was in uh, 91 when I first started. And they were, they were just building prisons like crazy. And, you know, with, with those prisons you build comes a staffing package where you have to hire all of these, these uh, correction officers. And we, we were paid pretty good. Matter of fact, my retirement is still pretty good. <laughs> and 
you know, it's it's like, okay, why don't we invest all of that money on the front end in these children and teaching them and teaching them discipline and how to stay out of trouble, you know, and paying teachers a, a good salary so we can retain the best teachers for our children. Why would we waste all of that money by letting them, letting, allowing them to grow up, become crooks, thieves, villains and, and, you know, bad actors and then pay all of this money for prisons? Well, I mean, if you spent all of that money on schools, you wouldn't be able to build the prisons. Like, yeah. you wouldn't want to miss out on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, like Frederick Douglass said, it's it's easier to uh, build strong men and repair broken men. I'm just paraphrasing Frederick Douglass. But it <laughs> well, was something I, I hear to he's, that effect. I hear he's done some good work. He's getting recognized more and more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too bad he's been dead for 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> Should tell somebody else that. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like for a little while we were starting to understand that the mandatory minimums and the drug scheduling were, you know, really a big part of the problem. Like, they weren't solving problems. They were actually causing us problems. And it, it right. almost looked like we were headed in the right direction. And now with Jeff Sessions as the AG, and he's right. like super prude, little old woman, tw you know, twirling her beads, scared mm -hmm. of everything. You know, are the, how many people in positions of influence are actually talking about reforming criminal justice at this point? Well, there's a few. I know Bernie was Bernie Sanders was he was he, it was a big part of his platform when, when he ran and, and then which kind of drug Hillary to the left. And she, she even started mentioning it, you know, when she was running for office. Right. And then you still have a few people in, in Washington, D.C. and Congress. That, that speaks about it. Uh, Kamala, Kamala Harris, California, newly elected. Yeah, uh, she's amazing. She, yeah, she is. She's absolutely uh, someone that we should be looking for for the future of our party to, you know, to try to regain energy, regain momentum, regain interest. Because, you know, I think that's what hurt the Democratic Party. You know, we got all of these old corporate Democrats that weren't too progressive who kind of... Uh, Made everyone become disinterested, especially the youth, young young people. They were not excited about voting for her. Some of them even went over to Trump. So Democrats need to regroup. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it would be nice if we had some truly progressive voices that were able to kind of get as big a platform as these old conservatives that are pushing the the fear mongering and the right the bigotry and you know like if we could if we could just counter that on at least the same level with some very good solid progressive ideas right and i think i think what what's going to uh bring that to fruition will be when we can finally get money out of politics yeah, absolutely. Well, that was great. Um, where can we find you? And uh, what can our listeners do to uh, help you out with either your, your platform or some yeah. of the things that you're doing? Yeah, I'm uh, focusing my attention. I'm, I'm uh, This coming up Friday, I have my own comedy show. It's a political comedy show called The Resistance Comedy Show. Okay. And it starts uh, this Friday here in my hometown of in the Antelope Valley, Palmdale, Lancaster, North Los Angeles County. I'm going to have this show, and it's basically going to be kind of like a comedic town hall with comedians and people talking about political issues and organizing. And, you know, it's not just a dumb comedy show where people come and tell dumb jokes. It's going to be issues-oriented comedy. My next show in two weeks is going to be a fundraiser for uh, 
Brian Cafario, who's running against uh, Representative Knight here here in this area where I live at. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to be doing fundraisers. I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, putting spotlights on, on the candidates so people can come to a comedy show and actually get some information like, hey, this person is going to be running for office and here here is... 10 minutes of what he's his platform consists of so you know get to know you know that that's bringing knowledge you know you have a few drinks and you laugh at the end with comedy show but for the most part it's, it's going to be kind of like a sly way to get knowledge to people and get people interested in in issues and you know politics and life because yeah. these politicians what they do affect us and i think we're all becoming much more aware of that since 45 took office. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah but that all sounds like a really good idea. Is there, um, where can people find, uh, like, a schedule of your appearances, your shows? On my on my Facebook page, I'm in the process now of, of trying to gather all of my social media together. Uh, my Facebook, my Twitter account, my Instagram, but I can disseminate information more effectively about what I'm doing because I'm kind of, Stepping back from from doing the conferences right now because I want to focus on local politics and things that that really affect the area that I live in. And then I'm also starting a YouTube channel called uh, The Dark Side with Steve Hill, a.k.a. Satan. (laughs) And it's going to be weekly, man. I'm going to do it. It's kind of like a uh, 30 minute wrap up of probably like national politics, whatever's going on in the Trump administration, you know, and I'll bring some jokes to it and get it funny and things like that. But I'm, I'm hoping to get, get me a lot of subscribers so I can have it on a regular basis, you know? Yeah. Awesome. We'll check that out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to link everywhere that people can find you in the show notes for this show. Mm-hmm. And Hey, I appreciate you giving us your time today and um, good luck with the new YouTube channel and your shows. Uh, I hope we get to talk to you again soon. Well, I hope so, too, because there's a lot of issues that we didn't even touch upon that I would love to have talked about. Yeah, let's absolutely do another episode. Yeah, no problem, man. The entire religious concept of a devil or opponent for a god undermines that god's power. Consider Jehovah, who, instead of just destroying Satan instantly when he rebelled, chose to cast him out of heaven and have dominion over the earth to tempt and torment humans for as long as it takes for Jesus to come back and save us all. Again. In doing this, Satan is given more power instead of less and becomes a bigger part of the Christian narrative than he otherwise should have been. Now, Satan has free reign to do pretty much whatever he wants, and Jehovah's just like, well, I'll eventually get around to taking care of that, as though evil in the world is the equivalent of a squeaky floorboard that's kind of annoying but not really hurting anything. God's so freaking lazy. But it really begs the question whether or not God could do anything about Satan even if he wanted to. I mean, the book of Revelation describes this epic ultimate battle between good and evil, where good triumphs and Satan is finally destroyed. But if it were possible for God to do this, why wouldn't he have already done it? I feel like he knows he's incompetent and stupid, so he had to write a book that made him look better than he is. Like Daddy Trumpo. Actually, that's funny because God ghost wrote his book too. This is all to say that the entire concept of Satan is stupid. 
Angels only exist to worship God and do his bidding, except when one of them doesn't. God is the most powerful being imaginable, except when it comes to eliminating evil. Satan can read the Bible so he knows what his end is going to be, but he just doesn't care. I mean, what's his end game? What's he trying to accomplish and for what reason? If he's trying to fill hell with Koopa Troopas for the final boss battle, but he knows that the outcome is the destruction of not only Satan, but also of hell, then he's just wasting his time. He could be lazy like God and just binge-watch Netflix until time's up. Religious people who are afraid of Satan and demons are afraid because they haven't put any thought into how stupid of a thing it is to be afraid of. If something is so dumb it couldn't be possible, then it's dumb to give it any of your time. I'm not afraid of being abducted by aliens for the same reason. It's these irrational fears that drive us to behaving badly, and the recipients of your stupid actions didn't do anything to deserve it. Grow up. Random bird. Random bird. Random bird. Random verse. Our random verse this week comes from Matthew 18, verses 8 through 9. And before we read it, I just want to apologize to anybody in the United Kingdom. I didn't do this. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Okay, so the verse and your accent were very offensive. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, This is pretty terrible. Yeah, it's a freaking awful verse. So this is what passes for wisdom from the New Testament. This is Jesus speaking, and he's trying to teach people that you should not let things become a boat anchor to you and drag you down into wrongdoing. But the analogy that he's giving here is just brutal and disgusting. Like, why why would you say... If your hand does evil, which we all know, you know, you control your hand, like there may be some kind of like phantom hand for people with nerve damage, but like you're in control of your hand. So if your hand does evil, blame your hand and then cut it the fuck off. There's a Rick and Morty episode that's perfect for this, but you don't watch it. Oh, no. Oh, (laughs) anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm not entirely sure that this is synonymous with what it's trying to depict, because basically what I'm getting from this is if your hoe don't do dishes, then throw that hoe away. But the same can't really be said for your hand or your foot or your eyeball. This podcast is becoming more and more misogynistic by the minute. Get your hoe back in the kitchen! I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I, I hope nobody actually thinks I feel this way. <laughs> no, I am all for equal rights. Please, nobody think that I hate women or something. Anyway, yeah. Damn it. Ooh, we've crossed lines today. All right. Oh. Um, well, my point was already sort of made. <laughs> I, if you... Drugs, for instance, I guess. If we want to go a different route, that's not misogynistic and terrible. If you're addicted to drugs, then get off of your drug addiction and throw your drugs away because it's evil and sinful and stuff like that. But if you're clumsy and you stumble because of your foot, that doesn't mean you need to chop it off. I don't know that that's necessarily synonymous with sin. I understand that they're trying to be a little bit poetic here and like Confucius-y, but I feel like that's too far. 
Yeah. Well, okay. So look at it this way. And I can give you a little bit of context to kind of like give you the general feel for how Jesus teachings kind of went. But here's the 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 thing that I find really disgusting about this is that this is an illusion. This is an analogy. And what he's really talking about here is things or people in the world that cause you to take your mind and your focus off of God. And so this includes your family. This includes your children. This includes This includes Emma Watson. <laughs> yeah. Like if Emma Watson causes you to masturbate, you should not look at Emma Watson anymore. Well, let's not go that Or far. cut your hand off. You should cut your hand off and then masturbate with your feet. Hey. <laughs> I, I don't know. Hey, it's not like that, okay? Emma Watson is more than just a sexual object, okay? She is a beautiful, independent... See, I'm trying to redeem myself now for all this misogyny. <laughs> See, I was just going with, like, where you already drug this podcast anyway. Uh, that Emma Watson is a goddess. Sure. She, she is the incarnation of Aphrodite. I- is she supposed to be in the kitchen? No, it was a joke. Remember? It's just a prank. Just a prank, bro. It's a prank, bro. <laughs> yeah, so another verse in the New Testament, and this is purely Jesus' teaching, is that he was talking to his disciples, and he told them that they couldn't be true disciples unless they hated their mother, their father, their family, and even their own lives. If they didn't love God more than literally everything else, then they could never be true disciples. And so this causes division, like when, okay, so let's say that you're a Christian, and you have a son, and he comes out as gay. And then you just read Jesus talking about how you basically have to hate everything except God, then you kick your son the fuck out, because that's just going to keep you from being a good Christian having a gay son. Like, that's just going to drag you down. Uh, This happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, oh, okay, well, and I say this in the way that I've been meaning it when we talk about Bible things, that it makes sense in terms of the fictional universe that the Bible is centered around, according to the laws that govern this place. I guess this makes sense, unfortunately. It is still very violent, though. Like, yeah. the, these are, like, very aggressive metaphor usage here. Well, I almost wonder if passages like this in the Bible and in the Quran, I wonder if, like, these become the basis for, like, chopping people's hands off if they steal and that sort of thing. Like, you're going to learn your lesson and you're not going to be able to steal again because you don't have a hand and then you can just be a better person because you're maimed and if you have two hands then you'll be a bad person but if you have one hand then you'll be a better person but maybe how deep does that rabbit hole go like can't sin if you're dead well yeah i guess (laughs) i mean you can't (laughs) all right well while valid that if (laughs) sort of puts god on the losing end if all of his followers just kill themselves um yeah yeah well i mean no because then he gets to harvest the souls i don't know what he does with them but whatever so, uh, Logan, yeah. if you uh, had to rate this verse on a scale of uh, one eyeball to uh, your right foot, <laughs> what would you give it? Uh, I'm going to give it two hands and my soul. T- two hands and a soul is what this verse gets. I don't have a soul. All right, fine. Then just two hands. Okay, two hands up. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Which I think is a 10, if you count the number of fingers on two hands. Uh, I, I just gave this verse a 10 out of 10. We're done here. And that's all the fire and brimstone we have for you this week. Please remember that people in the wake of the hurricane still need help and be as generous as you can with disaster recovery efforts. Your donation could mean the world to someone. And hey, if you have anything left over after that, you could always throw it our way at patreon.com wayward. Until next week, if you have questions or comments, please send us an email to podcast at waywardwillis.com. Intro music was provided by Austin Cologne and used with permission. You can find more of Austin's music linked in the show notes. This podcast is a media production of Willisware LLC. All rights reserved. This has been the Wayward Willis. If you liked what you just heard and you want more of John and Logan, you can follow us on Twitter at Wayward Willis, Facebook at facebook.com slash the Wayward Willis, or at willisweb.com. If you want to help the show and have a few extra dollars, you can donate per episode or per month on Patreon at patreon.com slash wayward. We'll be back next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.